0: Hello and welcome into airing it out a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the center daily times I'm your host John Sauber and I'm joined as always by Josh Moyer. Josh. How's it going?
1: Well, it's going well, uh, John. I'm a big guy, so the closer we get to Thanksgiving, the better I'm going to be.
0: Yeah, and honestly, this cold bothers me less. You know, it just everyone else is freezing cold. I'm nice and cozy during uh, most of <laughs> these times, usually. And the the beard, of course, helps with that. Uh, of course, it was uh, pretty cold up there in Minneapolis this weekend for the uh, Penn State Minnesota game. That did not turn out in Penn State's favor, with the the Golden Gophers winning 31 to 26. And uh, you know, it, it, it was an interesting game. Uh, you know, it, it felt to me like, like Penn State is was
1: one way to put it.
0: Yeah, it, it felt to me like Penn State sort of should have been up more uh, or should have been up, I should say, throughout the game. And they just sort of weren't executing in key spots. Uh, what did you think
1: about the game and what are your overall takeaways? Uh, to me, the first thing that comes to mind is just the fact that Tanner Morgan finished 18 of 20 passing. You know, I, I, I wrote this, but it bears repeating because I think this is just an amazing stat. That 90% completion rate is the worst that Penn State's defense has allowed this century. Well, unless you account 2015 Army going one for one, which would be enough, would have been 100% completion rate. But, you know, I, I can only look at so many game logs. They, 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 don't, they don't stretch back to the 1800s when Penn State still had a team. But I would wager a minimum 5-10 passing attempts. This might have been completion percentage-wise the worst uh, – <clears throat> performance all time by a Penn State secondary. And now it it was interesting how it worked out. It was mainly the RPO. Um, James Franklin said, and and I I doubt this is entirely accurate, but 75% of Tanner Morgan's passes were single read RPOs. So, you know, that's where the trouble started for Penn State. Um, I, I think you've got to give them credit for the way they clawed back in the fourth quarter. But yeah, there was nothing pretty about Saturday's game. That was maybe the ugliest game close game of the James Franklin era.
0: Yeah, and you know, since you start with the secondary, we may as well start there. Uh I thought they were brutal. Uh the, there's no way around it. Tariq Castro Fields and John Reed were not good. Uh Tariq Castro Fields got lost a couple of times. Uh, it looked like on on Minnesota's first touchdown of the game when Rashad Bateman caught that wheel route in the end zone, John Reed bit on a fake bubble and it left Garrett Taylor on an island trying to recover to it. Uh and, and what looked like cover three uh defense and that left you know Reed basically completely out of the play and it left uh, Taylor to be the only one to make up for an assignment that wasn't his. Um, now, you know, that's one play. Uh, it shouldn't have affected the rest of the game, but it sure seemed like it did. Um, Penn state seemed like they were out of position to recast fields was too often, uh, you know, relying on his safety help over the top when it wasn't there. Uh, they, you know, him and Taylor got beat a couple of times between each other uh, when, when Morgan put in, you know, pretty nice passes to, to Rashad Bateman, especially um, but it wasn't like this was a diverse attack by Minnesota that beat them. It was Rashad Bateman and it was Tyler Johnson, and that was pretty much it. You know, they they combined for three hundred and seven of the team's three hundred and thirty-nine yards, two of the teams three touchdowns, and fourteen of the teams 18, 18 receptions. Uh with uh, three of the other four going to Chris Ottman Bell, who also had a touchdown in the game. Uh,
1: which just, I just thought that I thought that touchdown was the most impressive in all yeah, honesty.
0: Absolutely. But yeah, the 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 rest of them, it seemed like they were there were, you know, places for Penn State to make up some ground and and they didn't. Uh, they didn't play the proper coverage. They didn't execute properly enough. And and that goes into you know the coaching of this game, which I thought was fine. Uh, you know, I we we've seen Brent Pry in the past has been a guy that makes halftime adjustments, and it seemed like they did in this game. Yeah, it uh, looks but- like
1: they went from from zone primarily in the first half, which they were getting you know the you know what beat out of them. They switched to man where they had more success. And had it not been for a third and long conversion, where I think was a Bateman who had the the, the catch near near the sideline around the the, the five-yard line. Had it not been for that, Penn State likely would have kept them off the scoreboard in terms of touchdowns, field goals, You know, another story. But, no, I mean, I thought second half they, they made good adjustments. It was just at that point, you know, too little too late.
0: Yeah, and, and part of the reason it was too little too late was because of the poor offensive play in the first half. Uh, you know, and Sean Clifford was bad. There's no way around it. He short-hopped a few throws. Uh, he had two yeah. touchdowns that he just flat-out missed. The first to Justin Shorter, now Shorter, whether he would have caught it or not is a different question. But he had he had Shorter deep up the middle of the field, underthrew it, and Antoine Winfield came up with his first pick of the day. And then he had Pat Fryermuth on an in route, and then he completely underthrew it to yeah. the point that I, I I was watching, of course, remotely, and and I watched it, and it looked like Fryermuth picked it off the grass. It turns out he just short hopped it by four inches. Uh, and, you know, it was really nowhere close when there were no defenders close to Fryermuth. So. So Clifford was really brutal in the first half there. And honestly, a big reason why they were behind.
1: Yeah. You know, Sean Clifford took a lot upon himself after the game. And that's why I think this coming week, it's going to be really important to see how he rebounds. You know, Sean, he puts a lot on his shoulders. James Franklin said after the game that players were coming up to him and, and just saying, you know, sorry, coach. um, Because they felt like that the loss was their fault. And it was heavily implied that, that Sean Clifford was one of those. And, You know, I asked about him. I asked him about it after the game, and you know, his response was, "You know, how can you not, you know, put blame on yourself when when a game goes like this?" I mean, he entered Saturday's game with 216 attempts, and he had three picks. He had 43 attempts Saturday and had three picks. It it, it was not a good outing for Sean Clifford, but obviously, the sign of a good quarterback is being able to come back from from those disappointing games and this is the, the first time he's really had to face adversity in that regard. So, you know, we'll see how he bounces back. And, and I don't think it's a given that he's going to be, you know, 100% Saturday, you know, in terms of his mentality. Because, again, I mean, you know, we saw – I mean, he's human. He, uh, you know, he had uh, – uh, what was it? Uh, you know, he, he, had, he admitted that he was uh, pretty nervous in, in week one. And, you know, he, he's, he's had the jitters, you know, and in, in maybe one other game early in the season. and. Yeah, you know, so it's going to be important for him, um, you know, to see, to see what he can do against Indiana. And, and Indiana's pass defense is, is not exactly a pushover. So, you know, it's going to be a challenge.
0: Yeah, no, he, he's in for a tougher task than I think most people would have anticipated at the beginning of the year with this Indiana team. But back to what, he, what you said about nerves, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, you can see it out there. He looks – it's funny, against Iowa he looked a little bit skittish and, you know, like he looked really uncomfortable in the pocket. In this game he looked like he was just too amped up and like he you know was was exerting himself and releasing late on his throws and that's why some of them were going short and uh you know that it's a, it's a major issue for Clifford right now if, if he can't keep himself even keel for these games uh big game or small game he's got to be at the same level throughout and you know you want to see that kind of composure out of a quarterback I understand it's his first year starting but he's got to you know he's got to mellow himself out a little bit for for these games to to make sure he's at his best and to keep his teammates at their best um but, yeah, the performance Saturday was just – I mean, it, I've seen a lot of people blame Ricky Ronnie for this, and I'm, I understand that the frustration with some of the calls, you know, the, the fades in the red zone. But outside of that, I mean, I thought Ronnie caught a really good game. The receivers were open for the most part, and Clifford was really the one to blame here. And I hate to keep piling, them on, piling on here, but they moved the ball so well throughout the game and just couldn't finish drives in part because I, I think Clifford was misreading some plays and, and wasn't, you know, finding guys that were open on every play – and holding on to the ball a bit too long. Uh, I, I think, you know, Penn State fans would like to see some some improvement from him. But but again, uh, what I thought was another good game from Ricky Ronnie against a good Minnesota defense, Penn State was able to move the ball up and down the field and just couldn't finish because of execution.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll say this about Ricky Ronnie. I, uh, for good, bad, ugly, I put him under the bad because of that those four plays um, in the end zone. When you have you know, it's first and goal at the nine-yard line, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, you know, fake jet sweep, fade to five-foot-nine KJ Hamler. Uh, that, uh, I thought, almost completely negated the game he had called to that point. I mean, that was puzzling. That was, at the at the time, the most critical point of the entire game. And you just kind of wonder, you know, what's going through his head at that point. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it, there – there's a lot certainly to put on Sean Clifford's shoulders, but um, also I think he's almost getting too much of a bad rap. And, and by that, I mean, you know, when he did kind of find his footing, uh, I mean, he threw three times to Justin Shorter. Shorter had two drops. And yes, while that ball was underthrown, that Antoine Winfield Jr. intercepted, um, you know, Shorter certainly could have made a play on that ball. That that, that possibility was still there. And Jacena had one... Uh, Uh, deep pass that that would have been a clear touchdown, you know, but he dropped it. I think it hit off his face mask. I mean, Jacena has this great deep speed, but this is the second time this season, you know, it's not as if they throw a lot of balls his way. You know, I think this is, you know, he, he's probably had, you know, four or five, you know, deep balls like that. And he's dropped two of them. I mean, it's great if you're a fast receiver and you can, you know, burn your guy by, by yards and yards and yards, but if you can't catch it, you know it's not going to do a whole lot of good so you know certainly there was a lot with that and then you have the you know the offensive pass interference call had that not been called it certainly seemed that you know, brutal Sean call would have would have taken this team back and and then you have you know Jahan Dodson uh, uh Franklin said that it was firing with who got tackled in the end zone i think he meant probably meant dodson um i don't know if dodson could have got there anyway but there's so much that had to happen wrong here everything just kind of went against penn state's way if there was one or two things that 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 you know went to the Nittany Lions. I mean, this would have been a win that maybe Penn State didn't deserve, but it would have still been a win. It, it's just it was just kind of uh, you know everything bad happening at once for Penn State.
0: Yeah, and to go back to the that red zone drive, I think you're absolutely right uh, on especially three of the four calls. It's funny, the jet sweep, it looked like the exchange was long enough that it may have been a read play and that Clifford definitely should have handed the ball to K.J. Hamler there. And now, you know, we don't know. Penn State won't go into detail on those sort of things usually. Uh, but I, I think there's a decent shot that Clifford had the chance to to hand the ball off there and chose to keep it. Um, but. You know, uh, you're definitely right. The, at least three of those plays were, were very poorly called. Uh, and, and one, you know, even even if Clifford was, you know, could have handed it off there, uh, was at the very least not a great call uh, in that situation. I believe that was on third down. Um, you know, it just, it, it, I, I don't think it undoes everything that Ronnie did, but you're absolutely right. There's enough of an impact there that it was game-changing uh, from that standpoint. But, but like you said, it seemed like a lot of stuff just went wrong. Like there was there was not a lot of, uh, you know that that Penn State had a control had control over that went wrong in this game uh, outside of the execution you know the the offensive pass interference was one of the weirdest calls I've ever seen Uh, Daniel George just ran straight he didn't you know he didn't you know make any forced contact with any defender he didn't try to initiate contact he just ran straight and you know he has the right to do that as a receiver and they called offensive pass interference on a a play that would have gotten them to the two-yard line. Now, would they have scored from there? We don't know. But, I mean, it seems probable with the way they were moving the ball that they would have. Uh, and, you know, that's that's a really tough call in that situation. And then to have that called and then to have uh, your wideout dragged down on what, you know, turned out to be the final offensive play of the game, that's that's tough to deal with. Now, there was plenty they could have done early in the game to mitigate those errors. You know, they could have uh, been up, for one, because they, they didn't execute well enough in the first half. But there was definitely a lot outside of Penn State's control in this game. And at the end of the day, they lost by five against a team that the playoff committee has in the top ten right now. Uh, not the worst loss in the world. Uh, a road game for them, too. In and in a, what was a really good environment, it seemed like from afar, for Minnesota and uh, possibly the biggest game, you know, that they've ever played. Uh, I, I at least think since that, World War II. Yeah, at least since World <laughs> War II. Very true. Back when they used to play those high school teams and, you know, the early 19-aughts, you know, I guess those might've been a bit bigger games, uh, but I
1: mean, Hey, they know. had, they, they, they had a, a calam, a, a massive superpower in like the 1930s, 1940s. Uh, I can't remember the name of their coach. Um, but yeah, honestly, like this team was like Ohio state, uh, you know, like pre world war two world war two, they just never were able to get their footing back again. But yeah, sorry. Still yeah. Up. No, I had to, you know, like I, I love old time <laughs> football, you know, Bronco Nagurski is one of the all time greats and and even I had to take a photo of, uh, you know, his name on the ring of honor there. So,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. It
1: is a a great place with history. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, Rutgers where it's just old. (laughs) It actually has, you know, some, some rich heritage too.
0: And this ends our weekly bashing Rutgers segment, Uh, but (laughs) (laughs) but no, that you're absolutely right. But there's you know that that's an 80 year gap, and you know so so the community sort of came together for this one, and everything went against Penn State, and they still could have won the game. I think that's promising for this team. I you know I've seen a lot of reaction that you know this is the end of their chances. We've we've seen people say that they no longer control their own destiny, which just is false at this point.
1: Well, well, you said too. You got an email from uh, a disgruntled reader.
0: Yeah, who said they don't control their own destiny? Which I'm sorry, but it it, it just isn't true. Uh, they they absolutely control their own destiny. And That was you know when I wrote up my takeaways for this game, it was how bad Clifford was, which we touched on, how bad Tariq Castro feels and John Reed was and or were and you know that they still control their own destiny. That this is far from the end of their season. That's something you and I have talked about for what two months now. That they can lose a game and still be in the playoff if they beat Ohio State. And that's what this season was always going to come down to. Yes, there were avenues for them to make the playoff while losing to Ohio State. Those are obviously gone, but they can still easily make the playoff. Uh, they beat Indiana. They beat Ohio State. They beat Rutgers. All of a sudden, they're in the Big Ten title game, and they're probably looking at Minnesota again. And when you have a chance to avenge your only loss, I know the committee's going to take that into consideration. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're one of the only teams in the country who have the chance to do it. And, and at that point, how can you not put a one-loss Big Ten champion who would have beaten a top five team in the country in Ohio State and a top 10 team in the country in Minnesota, who was their only loss on the road, uh, you know, it would it would be nearly impossible for them to, to keep Penn State out at that point. And, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that would happen.
1: I totally agree. And just to add to that, I mean, if for, for Penn State to win the Big 10 title, that means at that point, they would have had at least four wins over top 25 teams, which would put their strength of resume up there with anyone else in the country. Um, you know, right now, obviously they have Michigan and Iowa to be able to add, you know, Ohio state and, you know, I'm guessing Minnesota, but it, it, it does not really matter. And the fact is, you know, Indiana is ranked in the AP poll, even if Indiana loses these next two weeks, which I mean, you know, they, they play Penn state and Michigan. That's, that's not the easiest slate, but even if they lose these next two weeks, the fact is they're still a pretty good team. You know, Penn state isn't going to be penalized for that. I mean, you know, Rutgers, I, I think Penn State has had more trouble with buys than they will have with Rutgers. But, I mean, hey, you know, you, you never know. Uh, but, yeah. No I, mean, I, no, I
0: think we know. I think we know.
1: I, we, we do. We do. Um, I think Bald Eagle area, a uh, local high school team, you know, might have their number. But I digress, John <laughs> Sauber. Uh, you know, to, to be able to be, you know, Ohio State, which would be, you know, as long as both teams win this week, would be ranked number two in the country. Um, you know, Penn State is absolutely going to move up. Uh, there's, I, I, I cannot see, I cannot fathom a single scenario where Penn State wins out and is left out in, in the cold. If that happens, uh, it, it would be it would be a national college football tragedy. Um,
0: yeah. And I think we'd, we'd see those calls for an 18 playoff get incredibly loud. There's, yeah, But I, I see
1: that less than 1%. I mean, yeah. really, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's not completely impossible, but, but it's, it's less than 1%. I mean, you know, it's just get past this week. And then Ohio state is essentially a playing game for the big 10 championship.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And, and there's, that's going to be their outlet to make the the college football playoff and, you know, it's funny that I don't think this game was really discouraging for that game either. You know, I don't I don't think, you know, Penn State losing to Minnesota made me think, oh, now Penn State has no chance against Ohio State. I think it, we just sort of saw how good Minnesota is. Yeah, and Rashad those, Bateman having 200-plus receiving yards certainly
1: gave me a pause. Rashad
0: Bateman might also be the best wideout in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and you, you generally don't see Ohio State take advantage of the wide receivers that much. <laughs> They've been better at it this year. But, you know, we've seen uh, wideouts go to – Ohio State not do a ton and go to the NFL and succeed wildly so we'll see what what those guys do against Penn State but I think you know there's still reason for hope if you're a Penn State fan here this this Ohio State team now they will have Chase Young as we learned earlier today that that's going to be a two-game suspension he'll be out this week against Rutgers so kudos to Chase Young for only missing Maryland and Rutgers for a pretty absurd thing to get suspended for anyway that was the time for that to come out wasn't it I mean
1: goodness gracious
0: yeah, and I've, I've seen people, you know, <laughs> say that Penn State or Maryland leaked it. If you're Penn State or Maryland, why are you leaking that before Maryland and Rutgers? I mean, I see why Maryland would, but if you're Penn State, why are you leaking that before Maryland and Rutgers? That's just, you know, it's, it's a stupid hypothetical that I don't think anyone's really buying into. Uh, but, but this Minnesota team, you know, has a chance to continue to prove itself, too. They get Iowa on the road this week. Uh, it's a 4 o'clock kick, so it won't all be at night in Kinnick, but a lot of it will. Then they get to walk through Northwestern on the road, and they close the season with Wisconsin at home. So if they win out, that's a, I mean, that's a, a clear top-four team. Uh, and Penn State would be able to add that team to the resume, too. Uh, I, you know, I just don't see any way that, that Penn State's getting left out uh, if they beat Ohio State at this point and win the Big Ten title. Uh, to the point that it isn't really worth talking about, but apparently it is because some people are not completely bought in. Uh, and that sort of takes us to where Penn State's ranked now, uh, and and that's number nine in the college football playoff pool. Uh, behind, uh, you know, a couple of other one-loss teams, which I think is interesting, uh, behind Georgia. Who By
1: interesting, a- you mean wrong. I mean, yeah. Oregon I, I, <laughs> like, I, I, and I, Utah, I don't get. I mean, I, I, I don't get that. You know, you can explain it to me, but here's why I don't get it. Uh, you know, just because Penn State has two wins over ranked teams and they lost to a top ten team in the country, Oregon and Utah, um, and maybe I'm I'm mixing up one of them, but I think it was Utah. Uh, no, 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 it was it was it was Oregon. Oregon has no wins over ranked teams and they lost to a four-loss USC team. So you know, how is Penn State's resume not li- like? What's going on here? Y- you tell me. Maybe I'm not, you know I've I clearly got to be missing something because it seems like most people. You know, would rank, uh, you know, those two teams ahead of Penn State, and same thing with Georgia. Um, you know, they did not have a quality loss. What's going on here?
0: Yeah, uh, Georgia is actually one of the one I have the biggest gripe with. I I don't understand them being as high as they are, uh, being in the playoff. If the season ended today, makes no sense to me. They lost to South Carolina, and I get, yeah. oh, you want to attribute it to a fluke? They lost to South Carolina. That's all you need to know.
1: Uh, Penn State's loss. And losses mean something, John yeah. Sauber.
0: Well, and, and, and they mean something, and especially when you're losing to a bad team. I mean, that's that South Carolina team is not good. Will Muschamp could get fired by the end of the year. They've been so bad, uh, as he probably should be from every job he ever gets, but I won't dive into that topic today. But, you know, Oregon, Oregon makes a little bit more sense to me. Their loss was a legitimate good loss. It was an early season loss to Auburn. They've been hitting on all cylinders. The defense has looked much better of late. Uh, the offense is is really high powered. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country. So, I mean, they
1: passed the eye test, but the resume. I mean, right. yeah, okay, they have the the you know a quality loss, but they don't have a quality win. Yeah, and and I think they're
0: getting credit for beating uh, beating Washington, who is a. I think they've beat a couple of teams that are outside the top twenty five, but would be in that Indiana range, that that twenty six to thirty five uh, with relative
1: yeah. ease. Yeah, and that uh, that is that, fair.
0: And I think they're getting credit for those. And, you know, uh, there's probably some recency bias there too, because their loss was early in the season. Uh, Fortunately for Oregon, they don't really play anyone the rest of the way. They get Arizona, Arizona state and Oregon state. Uh, As for Utah, I don't totally get it. Um, You know, they, they haven't been great all year. Of course, this is going to sort itself out when they take on Oregon on all likelihood in the, uh, you know, PAC 12 title game. So only one of those teams will be ahead of Penn state at most. Uh, you know, there's a decent shot that if Penn State wins out, or actually, they're they're Penn State's jumping the winner of that game. If Penn State also wins out, uh, just because the resume would be yeah, so much more impressive I, I would at that think point, so. yeah, especially yeah. because the committee can't take into account just yet the fact that they play Ohio State, the fact that they play Indiana this week. So, you know, we might see that gap close a little bit as the the season wears on. And I honestly have no idea how those two teams are ahead of Minnesota at this point. Uh, Minnesota I mean, has that's the best. Ridiculous. Th- they have the best win among the three, and they they are you know. Uh, they're undefeated. <laughs> they legitimately haven't lost. Uh, same thing with Alabama, who I continue to not Alabama, be impressed that. with.
1: Yeah, and, and and we're their rank too. I mean, explain to me the disparity between Alabama and Minnesota. Let I mean, listen, I've I, I have not always agreed with the College Football Playoff Committee, but honestly, out of all the all the weeks and and you know, since since this started several years ago, I don't know if there's a week where I was more like, this is clear cut. This is absolutely wrong. Something is wrong with this committee. Yeah, I... I...
0: I don't know. I, I think honestly, Bama is getting credit for past performance and brand, uh, and that is one thing the committee is, you know, hammered home that they don't take into account and that they should not take into account. I think we can all agree on that. Alabama doesn't deserve to be in top the top four because of what the 2018, 2017 Bama teams did. They would deserve it because of how they performed this year. And they've how they've performed this year is uh, not good defensively. They've been, you know, uh, they got torn up by Joe Burrow and the LSU offense. And admittedly that might be the best offense in the country but they give up 23 to South Carolina 31 to Ole Miss 28 to a and I don't get it I don't understand what what is you know the committee is seeing right now and you know it, it the, the offense is definitely high powered and can hang with any in the country as as we you know legitimately just saw this week but that doesn't excuse the poor defensive play and you know I know everyone likes to say well like oh you're telling me right now if Penn State and Alabama play that Penn, that Alabama wouldn't blow them out I don't know the Alabama defense has been that bad at times this year. It would depend on what defense showed up. They may take care of this themselves and lose to Auburn in week 12 – but or week 15, excuse me. But, I, you know, uh, if they make the playoff as a one-loss non-conference champ, then I think that's another, you know, checkmark toward moving to an 18 team playoff because, quite frankly, this Alabama team doesn't deserve to be in right now. And I don't know that there's anything that they can do, barring an LSU collapse down the stretch, to put them in the conversation hey, yeah. for being in the playoff.
1: I mean, this was – this this game I thought was more or less you know do or die for Alabama because you know they don't have a, a great schedule this year which is kind of unusual you know in the SEC or at least you know compared to, to past years and you know LSU does if if to me this was this was the best case scenario for Penn State Well, best case uh, you know LSU might have gotten in as a one loss team had they lost to Alabama because of what they still have in front of them but Alabama losing. I mean, I, I know right now they're ranked ahead of Penn State, but I still don't think um, – you know, I, I I would wager my next paycheck, John Sober, if both Alabama and Penn State win out, Penn State's getting in over Alabama.
0: Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I, I don't think there's any way you can keep Penn State out in that scenario. Uh, even Georgia hasn't been impressive this season. Their their you know biggest win is the win over Florida, and then second biggest is uh, beating a Notre Dame team that's probably not as good as everybody yeah. thought it was uh and you know they get auburn down the stretch but that's really it they get a&m and georgia tech to close it out uh I, again another team that maybe has a decent resume now but it's only going to get worse as the season goes on and i think as you know you know and bama has one of the i believe bama gets an fcs school here uh in western carolina next week so that's not going to do themselves any good yeah. uh, leading I, up I to the iron bowl that.
1: like you know get the trash games you know out of the way early you know, yeah at that state let it be a tune-up week too
0: Yep. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I don't get why it's allowed at this point. Uh, and hopefully I, I think, you know, the committee should uh, knock them for that. They should, you know, if, if they beat Western Carolina, it should not affect the resume one bit. You know, if, if anything, it should be like, Oh, whatever they want, it doesn't matter. Like treat it as a bye week because that's essentially what it is for a team like that. Uh, and, and it should not be, you know, even taken into consideration if, if they beat Western Carolina 63 to seven or whatever it may end up being. And, you know, it's, it's not a level playing field for every team, and the SEC is the team most or is the uh, conference most notorious for scheduling these games uh, late in the year, but the ACC does it too. Uh, and honestly, if, if they're allowed to keep doing it, I think the big Ten may have to start just to sort of give themselves some rest late in the year uh, that, that these other teams basically get by having to play a quarter of football and then getting to you know see what the young guys have uh, late in the season. Uh, but you know that's that's plenty ranting for the, the college football playoff pool uh, at this point. It's or rankings, excuse me. Uh, I, I think we're in for an interesting stretch run here, and I think there are some scenarios where we see the team playoff come uh, come into play a little bit more, and people start to to gripe for it a little bit more. But but for Penn State, that's not the concern right now. The concern right now is Indiana, uh, and Indiana, what the,
1: Indiana, Indiana. Yeah. Yep wanted to reinforce that job <laughs>
0: and, and, and what they could see from Indiana coming down the stretch here uh in, in their third to last game uh in their final game before their biggest game of the year in Ohio State so what are you what are you expecting from this Penn State team Saturday and sort of their first rebound game of the season
1: yeah well uh, you know this is a this is a younger team and, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how they come out uh you know we ask James Franklin Tuesday often you know where where is the team's mindset you know what have you seen from them what does their body language show and, you know, Franklin's response was, you know, he didn't know yet. Um, you know, the players have Monday off. And, uh, you know, some players told us that Sunday you could still tell that, you know, they, they, they weren't quite over the loss yet. So um, the problem was, I mean, Franklin always preaches, want to know, want to know, you know, Indiana, Indiana. Um, and it's a good thing to say, but it's a lot harder to kind of follow in practice. And, I mean, we saw that just last year. I mean, all the players that we've, we've talked to so far have echoed the fact that you know, last year when, when when they lost to Ohio State in that 27-26 heartbreaker, they had a bye and then they played Michigan State and they couldn't shake that loss. I mean, it was 312 days between losses for Penn State. I mean, when they lost to Minnesota, their previous loss was, you know, New Year's Day in the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky. So, you know, I think we're going to kind of see, you know, just how tough mentally Penn State is. And, you know, as far as the team, I, to me, I think it's pretty obvious that, the most interesting or intriguing player Saturday is going to be Sean Clifford. Can he bounce back? We've seen that he's more than capable of being one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Ten. And despite his struggles, uh, I still think he's you know top three, top four, you know QB in the Big Ten. So you know, so for me, I expect the the, the defense to rebound. Um, you know, Indiana obviously is a spread offense. It's it's not RPO, but. I'm more interested to hear kind of what you have to say, John, because for for those of our listeners who don't know, um, you covered Indiana last year. This is a team you are very, very familiar with. So let me kind of you know reverse it here. You know, John Saber, what does Penn State have to be aware of when it comes to Indiana on offense and defense?
0: Yeah, no, I, I I didn't get to cover the team during the season last year, but I saw a ton of them in spring practice. Attended oh, so you, every you single. You covered Indiana's
1: recruiting.
0: Yes. Yes. I, well, I, I, by the time I'd gotten there, the season there was one game left, and there, you know, there wasn't much to it. Uh, but I was around the team quite a bit. I was, I was around Tom Allen. Uh, I was around, you know, when they hired Kalen DeBoer, and like I said, I attended every single spring practice, saw a lot of stuff there, saw how he interacted with the team, got to, you know, and that's the the kind of thing we don't get here. Obviously, is that sort of a, a chance to watch literally every minute of every spring practice, uh, and you know, you see a lot with uh, in those situations, and. And I think I saw a lot of what other people did. And that was the quarterback situation behind Michael Penix wasn't great. Uh, and, of course, Penix is done for the year now with, this I believe, a sternoclavicular injury. Uh, for those who are NFL fans, I think it's the same injury that Tyree Kill suffered earlier in the season, uh, basically where the joint gets dislocated from your collarbone to your shoulder, which is uncomfortable and unpleasant. Uh, But, you know, with him out, uh, this completely changes the offense. Kalen DeBoer now has changed the offense for the better for Indiana. And honestly, someone I think could be in line for, you know, a a promotion to a bigger school or a, you know, a head job at some point in the near future. But he's made it a spread offense. They actually do go RPO uh, quite a bit when Penix is in there. I haven't had the chance to see him with Ramsey. Um, I plan on doing that actually later today. Uh, And we'll see what, you know, the offense looks like with Ramsey in there. But from what I know about him, He's a game manager at at his core. Uh, Doesn't have great arm strength, decent accuracy in the middle of the field. Not someone you want to rely on to win a game, but someone that can, you know, carry a a good offense uh, as long as the receivers are open. And they have the receivers to to play well. Uh, Nick Westbrook, very good wide receiver. Donovan Hale, very very good wide receiver. There, there's some talent on the outside. Uh, and the run game here is especially important for this team. It is a very, very talented run game. Uh, they, they run the ball extremely well. They'll be without one of their star offensive linemen and Coy Cronk. Uh, who, as I'm sure you know, was their representative at Big Ten Media Day. Uh, and, and just, you know, with him out for the year, uh, it, it, they took a little bit of a hit offensively. Now he was replaced by Matthew Bedford, a true freshman who has been very good for them. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't say enough about how how much of a detriment it is to lose a leader like Kronk was and one of your best offensive linemen. Uh, but, but they're still a good, good offense and have a very good rushing attack, led by Stevie Scott. Uh, Scott was phenomenal last year as a freshman. Uh, One of the best in the country out of the backfield, averaging five yards a carry this year still. Uh, He's backed up by Samson James. James was a four-star recruit, once committed to Ohio State. Uh, Decommitted and flipped to Indiana to stay in his home state, which says a lot about the job Tom Allen has done recruiting. Uh, But, you know, there's there's real talent in this Indiana offense. It's not the Indiana offense that a lot of people are going to be used to seeing, you know, where they're uh, sort of struggling to get the ball down the field, they're struggling to move the ball at all. I think you're going to see them run the ball really effectively, uh, you know, this weekend uh, probably, well, I should say effectively for a team facing a Penn state defense uh, because this Penn state defense has been dominant. Held uh, Minnesota to less than uh, four yards carry. I believe they finished at 3.1 yards per carry Saturday. Uh, and I think honestly, Indiana could be a little bit better than that. Maybe three and a half, 3.7, which is good for facing the Penn state defense. Uh, it's going to come down to, though, to to Peyton Ramsey and what he can do for that offense if he's not hitting open guys, Penn State's going to have two or three picks this game, and one of them's going to go to the house, and it's going to get out of hand early. Uh, I, I don't see a real avenue for Indiana to pull off the upset, especially because this game is on the road. Uh, they're 7-2 teams. jinx
1: Penn State?
0: I, I, I hope I did at this point, honestly, because I am a firm anti-believer in the jinx, and uh, you know, uh, I'm the guy who mentions the no-hitter in the bottom of the seventh inning. I'm uh, not but- <laughs> watching a game with you. <laughs> Well, you know, if you're rooting against the team, feel free to invite me over. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Penn State uh, has a lot of easy ways to win this game. I think they're going to. Uh, they're going to get pressure on, on Peyton Ramsey, and if they do, if he can't get the ball quick enough, he'll panic. Uh, and, you know, if if he does, then, then Indiana's in a really bad spot. Uh, defense is super talented, but, but young, uh, and, you know, that's going to be an issue for this team. Raekwon Jones is a very good linebacker. Uh, could get some pressure on Sean Clifford. Could make things difficult in the run game, too. But there's, you know, there's just not enough depth just yet. Indiana is also very young, uh, very, very talented for being very young. But Tom Allen's really just starting to get the ball rolling. Those recruiting classes he's he's getting are finally starting to pile up. And, you know, they're sort of in a spot where Penn State was a couple years ago, where they were really talented, but really young with not a lot of depth. Uh, so I think this Indiana team has a bright future ahead. I just don't think Saturday's going to be indicative of that at all.
1: Yeah, you know, Peyton Ramsey – uh, you know, we, we we talked about it before, but you know, he is he, he's good on those you know short to intermediate routes. Um, and I, I guess you know what's interesting with him, it, it doesn't matter that they have a different quarterback now in terms of their philosophy. It's still pass, pass, pass. You know, Indiana passes all the time. You know, on paper, this will be the most prolific passing offense that 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 Penn State faces. Um, you know, they're they're not necessarily well. You know they're they're not great. I want to say at, at running the ball. Uh, you know they average maybe about 3.9 yards per carry, which you know isn't completely awful. Um, but you know Scott, what you, you said he's he's six foot two. He's a big guy. You know he's not the type of running back you face every week. Um, and yeah, you know I, I I think it's really interesting to see just how much this Indiana defense has changed. Um, you know starting with Tom Allen when he was the defensive coordinator in in what was it 2015 2016. Um, you know, for those of you who don't remember, I mean, Indiana, I don't think there was a period of about 10 to 15 years where they, they were not ranked above 75 in total defense for the year. I mean, Indiana was just putrid and, um, while they're not the turnover machine, they have been in the past. I think they forced 11 turnovers. Um, so far this year by comparison, um, you know, Minnesota has forced 17, but you know, definitely there's a lot of talent, um, on this defense and, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of going to see, um, you know, Penn State secondary tested, especially after Minnesota. And we're, gonna, we're going to see if it was more of a defending the RPO issue or more of a secondary issue. And I guess I kind of go in the middle and think that, uh, you know, it, it, probably a little from column A, probably a little from from, from column B. Um, but, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely going to be interesting. And and we'll see if Penn State secondary can kind of redeem itself after a uh, not great performance, allowing a 90% completion rate to uh um minnesota yeah
0: no i uh, i'm with you uh i think indiana like i said definitely has the wide receivers to make this penn state team pay they also have a tight end and peyton hendershot who uh was actually recruited a little bit by penn state at one point uh who you know who can who can be impactful uh he's a good athlete can make plays offensively uh but you know stevie scott is really starting to get rolling for them uh he struggled a little bit early in the year you know now, against Ohio State, he only had six carries for nine yards. Against Miss, uh, Michigan State, he only had 18 for 66. Uh, he has torched worse opponents. You know, uh, last week, 26 for 116 against Northwestern. Uh, two weeks before that, 18 for 108. A uh, week before that, against everybody's beloved Rutgers, uh, 12 for 164. Uh, so he's sh- by week. Yeah, bye week. But, uh, I mean, anytime you can put up over 100 yards against the bye week, it's pretty impressive. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 one of those things where he's not doing as well against better teams, uh, and I'll be interested to see if that keeps up against Penn State because the five yards per carry can be a little bit misleading because of that. Uh, now they still use him in the passing game a little bit. He's got 23 catches this year for 207 yards. Uh, but he's going to be, a uh, you know, the biggest threat in the run game. But like you said, he's six foot two, 230 pounds, and he is not slow. Uh, you know, he has some bursts to him. Uh, This is a super talented guy who actually was going to be a linebacker at Indiana. And then, you know, they kept him on the offensive side of the ball and he's benefited for it and they've benefited for it. Um, I just think it's going to be interesting to see how much of his, uh, play this year has been real and how much of it has just been him doing really well against smaller defenses that aren't as good, uh, I think, like I said, we could see somewhere in between. We could see that 3.5, 3.7 yards per carry, somewhere in that range. See him start to you know, do well on early downs and maybe try to grind down the Penn State defense. But at the end of the day, they'll, they'll panic a little bit and maybe go to the passing game a little bit more. And, and that's where Penn State can win those battles as long as they get pressure on Ramsey. Uh, and that's something we didn't talk enough about uh, earlier, too, with Minnesota. The Penn State pass rush didn't get home enough against them. Uh, and like you said, there was a lot of one-read-quick-get-the-ball-out uh, so he, Tanner Morgan doesn't have to think much. But at the end of the day, the Penn State pass rush have to has to alleviate some of the pressure on the DBs by getting to the quarterback.
1: Yeah, you took to definitely not have his best game. Uh, yeah.
0: There. And, and, and you know, the I talked about last week Shaka Tony having an advantage with his speed against uh, – Daniel Falale, I believe is how you pronounce the name, and I apologize if that's incorrect, from Minnesota. I Uh, just referred him as the 400-pound guy. Yeah, the the 6'9", 400-pound guy that that Shaka Tony, I said about him being able to get around him. Well, part of the problem with a guy that size is he takes one step outside and you've got to go three extra yards upfield. So you may be able to beat him with speed, but it's going to take longer so his quick reads can get out sooner, Uh, and, and I think that was an issue last week. So the Penn State pass rush will have to be better this week. Uh, if they are better then you know, this is promising. Uh, they uh, can, you know, they can show that they can do it against a good offensive line. Cause like I said, Indiana still has a good one, even without Koi Kronk. Uh, and you know, they're not going to face 770 pounds along the right side uh, probably ever again, unless they play Minnesota in the big 10 title game. Uh, and I actually think, think this Penn state pass rush is suited to do well against a team like Ohio state with a smaller line, do well against a team like Indiana with a little bit smaller line. So you know, they're, they're in a position to have a nice bounce back. We'll see if they can actually do it. Uh, I know I'm expecting to, them to at this point.
1: Yeah. You know, I, obviously I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that uh, I'm going to be, be picking Penn state this, this week uh, to win John, but it, it's worth reminding uh, Penn state is about a two touchdown favorite. You know, this week, last year, they were a two touchdown favorite and they had a third quarter deficit and you know, it ended up being a close game at the end. Um, I think it was, what, 33-28? Or, or am I just, you know, remembering the Minnesota five-point deficit? Uh, somewhere around there. But, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a close game at the end. And, you know, Indiana can put up a fight. I mean, they, they, they have the firepower. I mean, you know, they have the talent. It's just a matter of them, you know, putting it all together. I, I don't expect them to. But, you know, I, I think this could be the, this could have the potential to be a good game early, um, you know, before Penn State pulls away.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, and I think that'll go uh, a lot toward Indiana getting the run game going, uh, and and being able to you know chunk out some yards against this Penn State defense. Maybe find Westbrook deep once or twice. Maybe find Hale in the middle of the field and let him make something happen. Uh, you know, there's a chance this could be a trap game for Penn State too. I, I don't see it, uh, but you know you, you know this is an Indiana team that it, it is a ne- you never know. They're they're good enough to challenge Penn State. I just don't see it given the, the circumstances. I honestly think they would have had a better chance had Penn State beaten Minnesota and, you know, been sort of riding yeah. that high into this week. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's not how things played out. So, you know, we may as well get to our prediction at this point because we've been sort of hinting towards that. And, and, you know, I, I went with 34, 17 last week, sort of believing in the Penn State defense a little bit more than I should. Uh, I, I actually think this could be me overcompensating for that, but I'll go with a Penn State 42 to 27 victory. Uh, I think the offense is going to end up, you know, shredding up the Indiana defense pretty well, but I think Indiana's offense is good enough to to break a few big plays and find some gaps and and get some scores themselves. What do you think is going to happen this Saturday?
1: Oh, boy. You know, I don't know if I want to uh, predict a blowout, but, I I mean, I just see Penn State's defense, you know, playing angry on on Saturday. Uh, You know, they did not have their best game, and, um you know indiana's offense it's it's not minnesota's i i i see this front seven having a, a huge game and, and there being multiple sacks so oh boy um you know i guess I, i'm gonna have to go 34 14 um you know I, I i see it you know first quarter you know maybe is i don't know i it, I wish I could be more definitive. Uh, You know, John, and could tell you exactly what's going to happen. I just keep going back and forth because, you know, part of me thinks that Penn State's going to come out. This is going to be a revenge game. You know, this is, you know, they want to put last week behind them. And the other part of me is, you know, I don't know if I trust Sean Clifford to start off hot, you know, after what happened last week. So um, I still think Penn State wins big. um, But, yeah, I I mean, honestly – nothing would surprise me in this game
0: yeah uh, i i think that's a fair assessment of this i don't think either of us is going to be too surprised by any outcome in this game uh, i could see penn state coming out flat and indiana jumping them uh and, and winning this game and quieting the crowd early i could see penn state uh blowing up uh the indiana defense and winning this game by 35 uh there's a lot of uh of outcomes possible in this game uh i went with mine just because i i think these offenses are going to get going uh We'll see, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting week to say the least. And then of course we'll be uh, at the game that everyone has sort of been looking at all year with the Ohio state game. Uh, but until then, that'll do it for this week's episode of airing it out. You can find us as always on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher and TuneIn. in. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the center daily times at center daily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C E N T R E. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.